I'm going to invite you to open your Bible with me to the book of Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. And it was three weeks ago that we left off on this chapter where Paul is exhorting, encouraging the Philippian church to keep their eyes on Jesus. I think today, if there's anything that you would remember or memorize or really that it would sink deep into your heart, write this down, keep your eyes on Jesus so that we can look upward and that we can go onward. If you keep your eyes on Jesus, you can look upward and you can go onward. Remember those words, upward and onward. And here he's teaching them to do this so that they would not be disappointed by the things of this world. In fact, as we keep our eyes on Jesus, what happens is that we develop a spiritual mind. And he's training them to look at the things on earth from God's point of view. As a result, then we are not upset at the things that are behind us. We're not disappointed at the things that are around us or those things that are before us. None of those things robbed Paul of his joy because he looked at everything from God's point of view. Because he saw everything from the perspective that Jesus was on the throne and that God is sovereign and he's over all the things. So he knows that none of these temporary things rob him of his joy. In fact, notice what he is. He's not earthly minded. He's spiritually minded. And today we need to keep our eyes on Christ so that we're not earthly minded. We don't become attached to the world, enamored or romanticized with the things of this life. But that we would know that God has called us to consistent spiritual growth. And that's exactly why, after having explained here in chapter 3 that his life has been transformed by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, he explains his past from verses 1 through 11, that he was in the bondage to the law, that he was performing works of legalism to try to be right with God in his own effort and strength, but he was delivered by that, knowing that we are only right with God by faith in Jesus through the grace and the gift of God. And that today we're not bound by legalism. Today we do not have to do works to be right with God. He said, I've been transformed. He speaks of the Christian's past, verses 1 through 11, your salvation. But from verses 12 to 6, this section that we're going to finish this morning, he speaks of the Christian's present. Not your past, but now your present, your sanctification. What does this mean? Your consistent spiritual growth. And he gives this analogy, giving reference to that after you've, you've been saved, notice this, you have been put in a race towards Christ-likeness. We're all in a race today. We're all running in this Christian race, and he uses that analogy, example, illustration of a runner uh, describing the Christian spiritual growth. That the believer has never reached, even today, you haven't reached this goal of Christ-likeness yet. We have not arrived. No matter how long you've been coming to church, how long you've called yourself a Christian, you have not arrived yet. Every believer is on the track. Each has a special lane that we have to run in with a goal to achieve. 
And that's why this morning we titled the message, Running to Win. Today we want to run to win. If you like taking notes, write that down, running to win. And what is that goal that we're running towards? It's the goal that every believer must have, and it's to know Christ and to become like him. Write that down as the goal today. That is the goal of your life as a Christian man and woman, to know him and to become like him. Your short-term goals, your long-term goals, your now perspective, your outlook, your worldview in life should always revolve around knowing Christ and becoming more like him. Now, there's three essentials that that is accomplished with, and he explains them in these few verses where he says that these principles for moving forward towards Christ's likeness are this. Number one, to press on. Number two, to press forward. And then also, number three, to press toward the goal. And I want you to know something this morning. I need to press on. You need to press on as a Christian today. We need to press on as a church for everything that God has for us. We need to put our own effort into what God is doing because we want to finish the race well. We don't want to stand still. We don't want to backslide. We want to look upward and we want to go onward. Amen. So I'm going to invite you this morning that you would stand with me for the reading of God's word. And we'll begin there in Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 12. Philippians 3, verse 12, I'll read the even verses. And you will read the odd verses out loud together. It says this, Not that I've already attained or I'm already perfected, but I press on, that I may lay hold of that which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us be of the same mind. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you today, Lord, because we do want to look upward and go onward. We want to run to win. We ask that today, Lord, if we are at a standstill in our walk with you, if we've gone out of the race, that, Lord, that you would, by your strength, your spirit, would restore us to the Christian race. We ask, Lord, that we would have the same mind and that we would walk by the same rule. We would be united, that we would agree on these things, to press on, to press forward, and to press toward the goal. So we pray this all in Jesus' name, and together we said, amen, amen. You may be seated. Now notice what he's saying there in verse 13. He says, I don't count myself to have apprehended or to arrive. He says, I know I'm not where I need to be. He's not content where he is spiritually. And this is the attitude of a spiritual man that's submitted to God because he says, I know that I'm not where I need to be in my spiritual walk. I know that I haven't arrived. 
And notice this, his attitude is one that says, there's still more of Christ to know. I want you to know that today. There is still more of Christ to know in your life. There is still more of Christ to become like. Know that today. There is still more of, of Christ to become like. There's still more for Christ to do. So he says, I'm not content with past achievements. I'm not standing still. I'm not going to step back. I'm going to step in. I'm going to step forward. I'm going to continue running in this race. I'm going to move forward. And then he says, but this one thing I do. And it's so interesting here, like Paul, he says, one thing I'm going to do, but then he lists three things. He has a concentration. He has a focus. There's a consecration and there's a concentration. The consecration is that he's been set apart for God. The concentration is that he's focused on the prize and on the goal. Today, I want you to know this. As you're walking with Christ Jesus and you're coming to church, you're opening your Bible, listening to this message, walking with Christ, you must know that you've been set apart and that you're called to be focused. Here he has a clear goal and focus in mind. It's one thing. You know, too many things we never arrive at the place or the destination where God wants for us is because we're doing too many things except the one thing that God wants us to do. And today we have to ask ourselves, am I doing that one thing to pursue Christ? And he says, in order to do that one thing of pursuing Christ, I must forget those things which are behind me and I have to reach forward or stride, stretch myself to those things which are ahead. That's the only way that I'm going to fulfill this one thing. And he begins here by saying, I must forget the things that are behind me. Now the reason why that's so important in verse 13 as we look at that is because he's saying you must not let your past weigh you down think about how many times you struggle with your past and it weighs you down it slows you down it holds you back and we say well now i'm going to move forward i'm not going to stay in the same place that i've always been this is the first day of the rest of my life i want a new beginning but we continue to prop up our past again we continue to give it attention in fact, right there where he says in verse 13, forgetting the things that are behind me, he's speaking of a willful neglect. He's saying, I'm no longer in bondage to the past any longer. And I want to tell you today, if you're struggling with the past right now, if it's holding you back, know this, you cannot change the past. But you can change the meaning of the past, and you can change the effect that it has in your life presently and in the future. So right now, do not let the past dictate your emotions. Do not let the past dictate your feelings or be in bondage to the past. Why? Because it's very difficult to go forward when you're looking backward at the same time. You think about it, and many Christians today are in that very condition. They're saying, I want to go forward, but they're consistently looking backward. Jesus said himself, no one who comes after me, is fit to follow me, who puts their hand to the plow and is consistently looking back. You can't say, I want to follow Jesus, but you're consistently looking back at the world, at your past, at your her, at the bondage that took place out in the world. He's saying, I'm forgetting those things now and I'm moving forward. Notice, 
we have a tendency to do this, and it becomes a distraction and a hindrance. You notice what he's saying? This is not a distraction to me anymore. I'm not allowing it to hold me back as a hindrance. I'm forgetting those things so that I can reach forward. Now, there are a few things that we need to forget from the past in order to move forward. Oftentimes, the very things that hold us back are this. Number one, being content or complacent with victories of the past. Living for the good old days. How many times have we said, you know what, I am so content with what God did 10 years ago or five years ago. We begin to be Christians that are living on the victories of the past. You know what it does when you become content? You slowly then become complacent. In Proverbs chapter 1, verse 32, it says this. Would you note this? Proverbs 1, 32, For the turning away of the simple will slay them, and the complacency of fools will destroy them. Do you know what kills your spiritual growth? What kills your spiritual growth today is complacency. It's not forgetting the things that are behind you or reaching forward to those things that are ahead. And oftentimes, it can even be victories that are holding us back. Where we're content with what God did yesterday. Not knowing that God still wants to do something today and in the future. In order for us to reach forward, we must, number one, forget those things that are behind, including the victories of yesterday. But also, number two, how often have we not progressed in our spiritual walk because we're meditating on past sins or compromising with past sins? And some people believe, well, you know what? I've been a failure in this world. I've sinned. God can't use me. The church won't accept me because of my past. Notice this. You should not be in bondage to your past. Today, if you come and you're dealing with guilt or condemnation, I want you to know God has washed away those sins already. He has cleansed you of those sins. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, look, all things have become new. That old lifestyle is gone. God has given you a new life. Romans 8.1, Now, therefore, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Think about that. There is no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. We have to remember that whether it's victories from the past or failures from the past, we cannot let them stop us from moving forward to what God wants for us today. In fact, the apostle says it in Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews 12, verse 1. Would you note this? It says, therefore, we also, since you're surrounded with such a great cloud of witnesses, because you have a great spiritual example. Think about the example that you have here in this church. Of the faithful Bible teaching of God's word. Because you have a faithful example, you're surrounded by great godly influences. What does it say? Lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us or traps us or slows us down and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. As Christians, and we're in this race, we have to understand this because we have a godly example that has inspired us spiritually. What must we do? 
let us together lay aside any weight or sin that is slowing you down. Not only sins that trip you up, but weights that slow you down. And notice a weight can be a good thing. It may seem as an innocent thing, but if it's slowing you down, it's a hindrance for where God wants to take you. You think about what he's talking about here, like a runner in a race that has no hindrances. With the least and with as light of contact with the world as possible. That's what it means. When you picture a runner, think about what the runner does in order to run the race effectively with speed, with concentration, with focus. You'll have the right shoes on, the spikes under the shoes. You'll have that that tank top uniform if he's going to go on the track. Have you seen that they have the small little shorts? I'll never wear those. But they do everything they can to maximize their aerodynamics. They say, we're going to do everything we can so that we will not experience, notice here, resistance. Are you experiencing any resistance right now? in your spiritual walk that you need to lay aside? It may be a person. It may be a commitment. It may be sin that's resisting the spiritual growth in your life. Notice what we're called to do. Lay it aside, forgetting the things that are behind us. So whether it's victories of the past, failures of the past, but notice number three, it can also be here the things that we need to forget so that we can reach forward. It can be distractions from past hurts. You think about how many people are hurt, and and notice what they become, even in church, they become professional victims. You know what that is? You've been hurt one time, and now everything offends you. And some people go from church to church, and you know what, this church wronged me back there, and and now I'm a victim here, or you know, one one brother offended me. Now, Now you find yourself as being the victim instead of growing up. Instead of moving forward, you know what he's saying? Forgetting those things that are behind. If it's hurt, notice what we have to do. Untie it from us. Lay it aside, untie it, and let it go. Today, if you don't let it go, then you won't grow. You must let any type of hurt go so that you can move forward towards Christ-likeness. Think about the example that we mentioned in Joseph in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. What happened with Joseph, he, was, he found favor with his father, and his brothers were jealous of him. What did they do? They threw him into a cistern of water, and then they sold him into slavery. Many years later, what happens? He's reunited with his brothers, and what does he tell them? He doesn't try to seek for revenge because he was hurt, betrayed by them. But what does he say? But as for you, what you meant for evil to me or against me, God has meant it for good in order to bring about, as it is this day, to save many people alive. He didn't hold on to the hurt because he knew God overall was using it in his life and for the benefit of other people. If I think about Joseph, even if they had done him wrong, even if they had betrayed him, you know what he did? He kept trusting in the Lord. He kept his eyes on him. He was pressing forward. He was forgetting the things that were behind him. He wasn't trying to look for revenge too easily. We become distracted with hurt. And you know what we want to do? Justify ourselves. 
try to find revenge. And we're overcome by evil instead of overcoming evil with good. What did Joseph do? His example as to how to deal with hurt and betrayal and rejection is that he overcome evil with good. He was reaching forward. So Paul is saying here, all of those things that are behind me are irrelevant at the moment because I'm preoccupied with this one thing. I'm moving forward to be conformed to the image of Jesus. And I want you to know this, the the progressing Christian must cultivate a, a concentrated gaze at the person of Jesus in order to move forward every single day. We need to keep our eyes on Jesus Christ. And he says it there in verse 13, I don't count myself to be apprehended. I haven't arrived. There's a dissatisfaction. But one thing I do, there's a devotion. Reaching forward, there's direction. And now we're going to see here in verse 14, I press toward the goal. What's next? Determination. So if we saw in this race a dissatisfaction, a devotion, one thing, a direction forward, now we see a determination. Today, we all must be determined that we're in the race to win. We're in it to win it. And we're not just in the race to participate. We're not showing up to the race to have ourselves considered participants, but we want to be victors. We want to win the prize. We're motivated. So many times Christians come to church. We can come. We open our Bibles. We listen to the message. We leave, and we think that's Christianity. But it costs us very little because we're not running with determination or with discipline. And notice what he's saying here in verse 14. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The determination in his mind, this mindset, he's saying, I'm pressing towards what? A goal to reach the end of the race. And when he uses this word press, I want you to know this. It means I continually follow after. This is an ongoing word that he describes. I didn't just start the race this way or... I'm not just doing it for a season of the race. For the entire duration of the race, I'm going to continually follow after in pursuit. In fact, he describes here, I press forward. This is an intense endeavor. The Greeks would use this word to describe a hunter. Notice what a hunter does as he is after his prey. He's eagerly pursuing that prey with a vigorous concentration with a vigorous pursuit, with a maximum effort until he captures that which he is pursuing. So likewise, Paul is saying, I have this vigorous concentration and endeavor that I'm going to come after this until I've captured it, which is the goal, the prize. What is he saying? I'm a runner that's striding, that's seeking the Lord, that's going towards the finish line. I'm not comfortable I have not arrived. I don't play it safe now. I'm pressing. I'm leaning in. I'm pressing forward. I'm not stepping back. And you think about what he's describing here, which is this prolonged pursuit, an ongoing long-term run towards the goal. To run the distance under this hostile, even fire, or under dangerous conditions, it doesn't matter. Circumstances may change but he's still pressing toward the goal. And think about it in your life right now. Circumstances may change. People may come and go in your life. 
You may find yourself maybe going through different seasons of, of ministry or of life. Notice what he's saying. Regardless of what changes around me or behind me, I'm still pressing towards the goal. I'm still faithful. And know this, an athlete doesn't become a winning athlete as he's referring to an athlete here by listening to talks. Think about how many times you think, well, you know what, I'm a pretty good Christian. I listen to a lot of messages. That doesn't make you a good Christian only. A good athlete doesn't become a winning athlete by watching movies about running, becoming even inspired about the race or reading books or what about this, giving opinions. How many Christians say, well, they're not doing Christianity right? Or you're doing church wrong, but they're the very people that are sitting on the sidelines. You have to get in the race. You know how you become a winning athlete, how you press on towards the goal of the upward call, the prize that he's referring to here, is by getting in the game and determining that you're going to win. Now notice when he uses this word here in verse 14, because it's a very important pronoun here that you must circle in your Bible. It says, I... And it's important because you have to understand when it comes to the determination in the race, nobody can run the race for you. You can't say, well, you know what? My husband is dedicated to serving the Lord because his race is good. My race is good too. Or you can't say because your wife is committed that you are covered in the race or your parents or your children. Notice he says, I am personally pressing on toward the goal. Nobody can run the race for you and you can't run the race for someone else. You have to continue to press on. In fact, here's a runner that wants to finish the race well because there's a goal. Look at verse 14. It says, towards what? Towards the goal for the prize of the upward call. What he's referring to here is the marker at the end of the finish line. When you think about a runner that's running that 150-meter uh, dash, sprinting towards the finish line. What is he looking at? At the marker at the end of the race. The runner focuses on that. And this is what he's saying. I'm running the spiritual race. I'm running in my walk with the Lord. Focus at the finish line. Why at the finish line? Because it's not how you start. What is it? It's how you what? It's how you finish. It's long obedience in the same direction. But I want you to know, it's not only that, it's long obedience in the right direction. Are you going the right direction right now in this race? Are you distracted as to the spectators who came to watch you run? Are you running in your lane towards the goal of the upward prize that he's speaking about here? There's a goal, and the goal there in verse 14 is Christ's likeness, not only here, but also for the heavenly prize. That is the motivation, the prize. He's not running aimlessly he's not running to participate he's running because there's a prize you think about an athlete when he runs what is he running for with a prize in mind the way that he prepares for the race he sleeps the way he eats the way that they train they discipline themselves they subject themselves they put their body under submission because they have the prize in mind and here he describes the very same thing. A Christian runner with a spiritual mind, he realizes that he has to run with determination, that he wants to run for a prize. You see, this is important because you must know it matters how you run the race. And I, and I want to say that again, that you would memorize that this morning. 
it matters how you're running the race right now. Are you running this race for the Lord or for yourself? And, and, and you think about oftentimes this determination, this effort, and you say, well, you know what? I can't do that for the Lord. It, it sounds like too much or it's going to cost me too much. Well, I want you to know this. God is working in you so that he can work through you in this race. It's by the power and the strength of the Holy Spirit. We need his power. How do we run this race this way? John 15 says it so well, by abiding in Jesus Christ. That's how you have the abundant, the fruitful life, the life that is producing fruit in your life where you're running consistently, get bearing fruit and growth in your life. In fact, I, I encourage you today, go home and read John 15 verses one through eight. That's the only way that you'll run the race the right way. That's the only way that you will grow healthy as a Christian. By being connected to Jesus, the source of life to the believer. Are you connected to Jesus? John 15 verse 5 says this, I'm the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do what? Nothing. The only way to run this race healthy, fruitful, growing spiritually determined to win is by staying connected to Christ. And what do we do? We exercise ourselves towards godliness. As we look towards the goal, the finish line, the prize. Paul told Timothy the very same thing. He says, exercise yourself towards godliness. Work out your faith. You think about how a muscle grows. It grows by being stretched. It grows by working out. It grows by consistently putting it into practice. And so likewise, your spiritual faith, the same thing. You must work out your faith so that it can grow as you're running towards this race. How do you work out your spiritual faith? By reading the Bible, by going to God in prayer, by waiting on him, by fellowshipping, by serving the Lord, by using your gifts, by not just sitting on the sidelines, but saying, I want to jump in the race and run this race in a way that pleases God. And that's exactly what we need to do. You think about someone that goes to the gym. What do they do? They're working out, and they go to the gym. And, and, and what is it? It's good going to the gym. Some even go to the They stand in front of the middle and flex a little bit, right? Look how good I look, right? But running here and exercising that it speaks about, it's a spiritual growth and exercise. In 1 Timothy 4, 7, it says, but reject profane wife fables, exercise yourself towards godliness. What are you to exercise today? Towards godliness. For bodily exercise profits a little. It's good to work out. It profits a little. But godliness, that's the strength. That's the muscle. That's our faith working out. It's profitable for all things, having promise of this life now and that which is to come. What is it that we are to exercise ourselves towards in this race? Towards godliness, saying, we have not arrived, we still have more to grow in. You know, so many Christians today are so busy saying, well, we're just dying to self still. But they never come back to life again to run the race. Others are so overconfident that they can make it on their own that they never stop to read the word to pray or to ask for the power of the Holy Spirit. And therefore, they do not finish well. But he says there in verse 14, as we look 
or to our attention. It says, for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I'm running because there's a prize. I'm running because of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He speaks here of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Or another word, way to say, he's saying, or until the time when Christ calls believers to heaven into his presence. And to the upward call of Christ Jesus. Think about this. We are to run with determination, not only for a season, but until Christ comes or until he calls us home. Today, know that you're going to run this race determined to win until he comes or until he calls you home. He's speaking here of living a life in light of the rapture. And to the moment that we have received the prize of the upward call. What kind of call is that? It's a call upward. <laughs> until we receive that call there in heaven. You know, as we read this passage and we look at it and we know that we have not arrived, notice the only time you've arrived until, is until we've been in heaven with Christ Jesus. Then we've arrived. And that word upward call is important because it means to be called up or to be summoned upward. It has a significance of to fill a vessel to the brim or to call someone higher up or to be taken higher up. And the reason why he uses this illustration is because this was a protocol in the Athenian Olympic Games held in the Roman ancient empire that Paul lived in. Which means that when the winner was crowned after running the race on the track there in the Colosseum, he would not be crowned on the track. But what would happen is that he would be summoned by an upward call. Think about that. And they would call him upward by the emperor's escort. And once the winner had arrived above the stadium, notice what would happen there. He was crowned by the emperor himself, surrounded by the honored guests and dignitaries. What an illustration he's using to remind us that one day, we are going to be called upward to heaven and there receive a heavenly prize. So he's saying just as an athlete is rewarded for their faithfulness, the believer will be rewarded when Jesus returns. This is a spiritual motivation to run with determination until he comes or calls us home. So many times we're so distracted and we're running and living this race for our own pleasures, for our own ideas, distracted. Our attention is not at the end of the finish line, but it is at what we can receive in this life. Forgetting that we're called to press on, to press toward the goal, to press forward. Today, that is the call. Press on, press forward, press toward the goal. Forgetting the things that are behind you, reaching forward to those things that are ahead. And one day knowing that we're going to be held accountable as to how we ran that race. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, he tells this church that is struggling with carnality that was had their eyes on secular things. He says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Notice, you, one day you will appear before the judgment seat of Jesus Christ. And each one's going to receive the things that are done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. There we will receive our reward for what we have done in this life. 
And notice, when you, re- when you stand before the Lord, notice this, no one is going to stand with you. You're going to stand alone. And you're going to have to give an answer to what you did with your life. Whether you ran this race for yourself or for Christ, we have one life to live. It'll soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only what's done for Christ will last. And so he says in verse 15 of Philippians 3, therefore, with that said, with that in mind that you have to press on, press forward, press toward the goal. Notice what he says. Therefore, let us as many as are mature. And he uses this word, let us, three times in the next two verses. Because it describes all of us having this mind. Let us, together, let us grow spiritually. But he's saying here, let us as many as are mature. For those of you that think you're so mature, he says. Or if you want to know who's spiritually mature, you must agree on these things that God is calling us to move forward now. That God wants our eyes upward so that we can go forward. Agree on these things. Be in one accord so that there would be a call to unity. And what does he say? If you are spiritually mature, have this mind or this attitude. What is he saying? Set your mind on this or think this way. If you're growing, then you're going to think this way. What kind of mind are you going to have? The mind that it describes there, the mind of Christ. The mind that he's already described in chapter 2 of Philippians. The mind that he's describing here again in Philippians chapter 3. In fact, we need to ask the Lord, Lord, would you give me the renewing of my mind? Ephesians 4.22, he says, and being renewed in the spirit of your mind. If you want to grow, he says, you must have this attitude. Have this mind. Ask the Lord to renew your mind about pressing on, pressing forward, pressing toward the goal. Why do we need to renew our mind? Because sometimes it's not that you don't hear what God wants you to do. It's that you don't want to hear Sometimes it's not that that you don't see what he's doing, it's that you don't want to see what he's doing. So he said, let us have this same mind so that we can pursue Christ-likeness together. Let us, as you know, that you have not arrived either. In fact, Romans 12, verse 16, he talks about having the same mind. Let us be united in this so that we can take steps forward together. He says, be of the same mind toward one another. Don't set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinions. Notice, do not set your mind on high things. Don't think that you know it all. Have this mind. You still have more room to grow. Sometimes we have the opposite mind where we think, you know what? Well, I'm right. Everyone else is wrong. Here he's saying, no, have this mind. In Galatians 5.10, he says, I have confidence in you, in the Lord, that you have no other mind, that you are not thinking a different way, that you don't have another attitude, but he who troubles you shall bear judgment, whoever he is. So he's saying, as many as are mature, have this mind or have the same desire for growth. Have the same desire for growth. Instead of compromising in this race, you're going to say, we're going to commit. We're not going to be laid back. We're going to commit in the Christian race. Instead of rejecting, you know what we're going to do? We're going to receive what God is doing. And this is why he says in the later half of verse 15, 
And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Now, if you think otherwise, if you don't agree with what I'm saying, or if you disagree, because there's always going to be that person that disagrees with pressing on, or pressing forward, or pressing toward the goal. If anyone thinks otherwise, if you're rejecting this from me, because you want to continue to dwell on the past, because you don't want to make progress forward, or you don't want to make an advancement. Why? Because of complacency. You want things to be done the way they've always been done in your life. You want your own program. It's not your program. It's God's program. And you know what we do oftentimes? We disagree because we're stubborn. <laughs> and we want our way. But we have to come to the place where we say, Lord, not my will, your will be done. That we say, Lord, we're not going to disagree. We're going to have the same mind. In fact, when you disagree, it's because here, the people wanted to stay complacent, maybe living in sin, going back to the legalism, refusing to go forward or pressing on. So he says, if any of you are disagreeing with me and you want to stay behind, notice what he says, God will reveal even this to you. That would reveal says God's going to uncover it for you. God's going to make it plain to you. God's going to show you. Why is He going to show you? Why is He going to reveal this to you? Because sometimes we don't see it. And sometimes we say, you know what? I want things to stay in my life the way they've always been. But you know what we should say, even today as we're reading this text? We don't want to stay the same. We don't want to stay the same. We want to grow to be more like Jesus. And He's saying, if you don't understand this, God will reveal this to you. He will continue to minister illumination to your ignorance. I mean, think about the faithfulness of God. He continues to minister illumination to your ignorance. Why is that true? Because every single one of us here have spiritual blind spots. You know what that means? That we can't see oftentimes what God is doing. And we say, God, why are you doing that? Or I don't like that this is happening. Or Lord, I don't want this to be done. And we, and we don't see what God is doing. Or we don't want to press on, press forward, press toward the goal. You know, we should say, Lord, I want you to change me to be more like you so that I can press on, press forward, press toward the goal. And what is he saying? If you can't see this, then Paul left it in God's hands to those that were not pursuing spiritual perfection and holiness, to those that did not want to continue to press on, he knew that God would eventually reveal truth, even if it meant discipline. He didn't try to force it on them. He, know, he knew this. If you can't see it, then God will deal with you himself. If you can't see it right now, notice, God will deal with you himself. He didn't try to force it on them. Sometimes we don't have this attitude. And you know what the Lord has to do us in order to, for us to press on, to press forward, to press toward the goal? He will have to use discipline in order to move us along or to move us forward. That's what the apostle says in Hebrews chapter 12 when he says, don't despise the chastening of the Lord. When God is disciplining you, don't despise it. We should learn from every type of trial and test and, and discipline from God because God sees discipline in the life of his children as a learning opportunity. He says, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11, Now no chastening 
seems to be joyful. How is it that when God wants to make us more like him, what does he use? Discipline. <laughs> it doesn't feel good. And we don't like it. In fact, it says it's not joyful for the present time. In fact, it's painful. Nevertheless, afterward, what does it do? It yields peaceable fruit of righteousness to those that have been trained by it. What is the discipline of God for? To train us. The discipline of God is to teach us, to lead us forward. And he's saying, if you can't see it, then God will reveal it to you, and God will do whatever he needs to do to show you what he's doing in your life. God will use whatever he needs to do to make you more like him so that you can press on, press forward, and press toward the goal, that we would lay aside anything that is hindering us and holding us back. What is the divine resource here that we see? It's God who does this. What does he use? His word. How? By the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, what does he do? The ministry, he guides us into all truth. He shows us, he gives us revelation as to what God is leading us. That's why if you can't see what the Lord is doing, if you're saying, Lord, I don't know if I want to press on or press forward or press toward the goal, then ask the Holy Spirit to show you. Because this is what keeps us going. This is what keeps us growing now. If you don't agree, he's saying, then God is going to show you. Today, if you don't agree with the, what the Lord is speaking to you with right now, then ask God to show you. And notice what we have to do as he shows us. Be open to what he's doing. Be flexible to what he's doing. What is our responsibility as his children to respond when he's seeking to persuade us? Not to refuse, but to respond. When he's showing us something, that we would respond so that we can be remolded, we can be reshaped into the image of Jesus Christ and not compromise, but commit in this race. Notice in verse 16, he says this, nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us, the second let us, walk by the same rule, let us be of the same mind. Nevertheless, hold on to the progress that you've already made. Whether you agree or disagree with me, hold on to the progress that you've already made. The second let us, let us walk by the same rule. The, the degree that you've already attained, to the place that you've already arrived. Notice what he speaks about. Not only determination, but here in verse 16, discipline. If you want to arrive at the finish line, your life must be determined, but your life must be disciplined. This is why he says, let us together walk by the same rule. This is Paul's directive for the believer. Notice what he says, the same rule, to stay in line spiritually, to conduct yourself as a soldier who march in line together, organize each in his proper position. In fact, that's exactly a military word that he's saying. Walk by the same rule, continue to fall in line spiritually. Or what does it say? Obey the rules. In the Greek games, the judges were very strict. Any kind of violation would result in a disqualification. And any violation in our spiritual walk can disqualify us. We have to walk by the same what? Rules. What are the rules that we need to pay attention to? The Word of God. Because if you're not running this race according to God's Word, you eventually will become disqualified. 
So what is he saying in verse 16? Stay the course. Continue running in the way that you've been running. Walk in what you already know. Now you must apply it by the same principles that brought you to this point in spiritual growth. You must continue. Paul told Timothy this, 2 Timothy 2.5, if anyone competes in athletics, notice what he says, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Let us continue with the same spiritual discipline that we have learned. In the second half of verse 16, and let us be of the same mind. Let us have this same attitude about this. What is he calling us? To unity. There's so many people that started the race. They were doing so well, but they failed at the end when they disregarded God's rules. They started to compromise in the rules. And I want you to know this. You can lose the race at the end of the race. You can lose the race at the end of the race because you stop moving forward. You know what we need to be? Stay blameless, stay above reproach in the race so that we know we truly are pressing on in a way that pleases God. How do we press on today? By number one, I want to give you these four areas, being consistently in the word. You want to press on today? Then be consistently in the word. Write this verse down, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. It says this, Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, all type of whispering, slander, division, Evil speaking, lay that aside. Instead, as newborn babes, desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby so you have spiritual growth if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. What do we need in our lives in order to press on and grow spiritually? Consistently, God's word. Peter understood as he was talking here to the Jewish believers under persecution that the first step back into backsliding, notice this, is a contentment that robs your desire for God's word. The first step back in backsliding, you know what it's going to take? It's contentment that robs you of your desire of spending time in the Bible. This is why we have to consistently stay in God's word. I like what Charles Spurgeon said. He said this, backsliders begin with dusty Bibles and end with filthy garments. How does your Bible look today? Have you opened your Bible recently? Are you receiving your direction there, your determination, your discipline? Are you walking by the same rule? Do you have the same mind, the same attitude? Number one, be constantly in the word. Number two, be constantly in prayer. Write this verse, 1 Thessalonians 3.10. It says this, night and day praying exceedingly that we may see your face and perfect what is lacking in your faith. What is Paul telling Thessalonians, he's saying, pray night and day so you continue to press on. Because we want to go forward. Because we want to go onward. Because we want to press toward the goal. Not only do we need to be consistently in the Word, we need to be consistently in prayer. Number three, we need to follow a godly example. This is why in the following verse of Philippians 3, verse 17, he says this, brethren, join in following my example. And note those who so walk as you have for us a pattern. What are we to do? Follow the godly example that you've received. The things that you receive, knowing from whom you receive them. Follow that example. Don't follow the example of someone that's talking and giving you a bad example or the world's example. 
but follow a godly example so that you can walk by the same rule, so you can be of the same mind. Be constantly in the word. Be constantly in prayer. Follow a godly example. And notice here, number four, learn from trials. We don't like learning from trials, but God uses them as an instrument in our lives. In 1 Peter 5.10, notice what he says, but may the God of grace, of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Jesus Christ, after you suffered a while, notice, maybe you're going through suffering right now, after you suffer for a while, he may perfect, establish, strengthen, and notice what he's gonna do after all of it, settle you. Learn from trials. Because God has a way of using trials to perfect you. What does that mean? To mature you. God has a way of using trials to mature you. So what should we do? Be constantly in the word. Be constantly in prayer. Follow a godly example and learn from trials. It was in a small churchyard at the foot of one of the great mountains of Switzerland that the body of a young Englishman was found there. He was killed as he was making an ascent up that mountain. And there where he was killed, he was buried. On the tombstone where he had died and he was buried, as he made an ascent up on that mountain, was a tombstone that had his name. And under that tombstone, it had his name and has the date of his birth and then also had the date of his death. But following, there was an inscription right below that of that man that died on his ascent up that mountain that said these simple words. It said, he died climbing. <laughs> he died climbing. May that be said of us as well that we kept climbing until he came or until he called us home. That we kept running until he came or he called us home. Today, God is calling us to continue to press on. And maybe you find yourself in a backslidden place in your spiritual walk where you need to get back in the race. Well, I want, I want to tell you today, you can come back to Jesus and get back in the race and follow him so that you can press on without hindrances, without sin, knowing that the cross, the Christ, and the call is before you. The cross is there to forgive you. Christ is there to receive you. And he's calling you back. If today you're saying, well, I want to come back into the race. I need to make my way back into the race now because I haven't been running the way I should. Spiritually, then I want you there where you are, I'm just going to ask you to stand because I want to pray for you.